0: Evidence and Answers. So much of the Bible is about prophecy, yet we don't always hear about the end times in many churches. What are the signs to watch for as Scripture tells us? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will be sharing seven signs of the end times. With part one of this message is our host, Pat
1: Zucran. As we begin, let's pray together. Father, thrill us with your word and the signs of your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, from the way things are unfolding in the world today, I'm not sure we'll be around for much longer. I don't think perhaps maybe for another hundred years. Jesus said that no one knows the day or the time of His return. Yet, He also commanded us to be ready for His coming. He said in Matthew 24, 33, when you see these signs, know that your redemption draws near. Know that my return is near. Right? We know the football season is coming. How do we know that? Well, we're hearing rumblings, more of talk about the Tom Brady scandal. And all of you in fantasy football are beginning to talk about it again, and we're beginning to see the fall colors in the air. You know football season is coming. Same thing when it comes to the return of Christ. Now, what are the signs that indicate that perhaps His return may be near? Well, we'll take a look at a few. Now, one of the most significant is the regathering and return of Israel Back to the land, okay? We're going to look at the seven signs of his return. We're going to go through them very quickly. For more information, go to our website, Evidence and Answers, and you can get the rest of this. But we're going to breeze through these seven real quickly. And one of the most significant, of course, is the regathering of the Jews and the formation, once again, of the nation of Israel. No nation in the world has ever been able to maintain its national identity and its national existence, having been removed from her national homeland for hundreds of years. Now, the scattering of the Jews was prophesied by Jesus in Luke chapter 21. He talked about the fall of Jerusalem, the judgment that's coming on the people of Israel, because they rejected their King and their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And after his long discourse, he says they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all the nations. And in 70 AD, uh, Rome came in and decimated the city of Jerusalem, demolished the Jerusalem temple, and scattered the Jews throughout the nations of the world. And for nearly 2,000 years, they had not been back in the land. Now, there are three predicted exiles and return of the Jews. The first one is in Genesis 15, where it was predicted that the Jews would be in exile in Egypt for 400 years and then one day return. Jeremiah was predicted that because of the sin of the nation, they would go into exile for Babylon in 70 years and return. Then there was a third one predicted in Ezekiel 36 and in Amos chapter 9. Where it predicts that the Jews would be scattered to all nations of the world. And Ezekiel has this vision of a valley filled with dead bones. And suddenly a rumbling takes place and the bones are regathered once again. You can read that famous prophecy, the valley of the dry bones. And the bones come together again. And then flesh is put on the bones, but the body has no life. And then the Spirit of God breathes and the body comes to life. Well, what does that indicate? Well, it indicates that the Jews will be gathered from all nations of the world. Okay, that has never happened before. The last exile of Babylon, they came back from Babylon. But this return is to be from all nations of the world that will come back and to be regathered and united once again. But the body is dead. There's no spiritual life there. and. In other words, the Jews would be regathered and they would not be spiritually alive in a state of unbelief. Then the Spirit of God comes and the body comes to life. And the prophecy is saying that the Jews will return from all parts of the world and be in a state of unbelief. But then one day the Spirit of God will breathe life into them and a great spiritual revival will take place in the land of Israel. Well, 1948, the United Nations Declared Israel the homeland of the Jews after World War II. And Jews from all over the world returned to the nation of Israel. After almost 2,000 years of exile, they returned home for the first time in over a millennia to the land of Israel. And as the prophecy states, they are in a state of unbelief right now. Alright, if you go to Israel today, it's a very secular nation. Alright, but they are not in a state of belief. That is going to come later, but the fact that they're back, regathered in the land of Israel, is very significant there. Something that was prophesied in the Bible and would happen before the return of Christ. Now, a second key sign to be looking at is the city of Jerusalem. Throughout the Bible, Jerusalem is the city of God. It means possession of peace, and the importance of this city is seen in that it is mentioned over 800 times in the Old and New Testament. 650 times in the Old Testament, about 140 times there in the New Testament. Now, Jerusalem is first mentioned in Genesis 14, where Abraham makes a great sacrifice to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And it's the last city mentioned in Revelation chapter 21. It is there that Abraham is believed to have offered Isaac and God chose Jerusalem to be the mountain, the place of his worship in Deuteronomy chapter 12. David makes Jerusalem the capital city of the nation of Israel and in 2nd Chronicles 3, Solomon builds the temple of the Lord there on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, it becomes the most holy site and the national symbol for the people of Israel. The Temple of Jerusalem, of course, is where the presence of God dwelt. That's where the sacrifice for sin and took place on behalf of the nation of Israel. It was the national symbol, just like our Washington capital or the Washington Monument is the symbol for the United States. Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 BC when the Babylonians came in and exiled the people to Babylon. They returned nearly a century later, and under Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Then it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, and the Jews were scattered throughout the world. 1948, the nation of Israel is formed once again, and the people return to the land. And when they returned in 1948, they declared Jerusalem as their capital city although it's in dispute today the jews declared jerusalem would indeed be their capital city in the future the bible teaches that israel and jerusalem will dominate the headline of world events the nations of the world will be driven with a desire to possess the city why is that because this is the city from which the messiah will rule is it any wonder this has been the city under the most conflict in the world today. Therefore, as we draw near to the return of Christ, we should expect that there will be growing conflict for control of the city of Jerusalem. You may be asking yourself, why is there so much conflict and attention to this little city here in this little tiny part of the world? Well, the enemy knows this is the city that will be the future capital from which the Messiah rules. And he wants to usurp that and take control of the city. And as you can see from prophecies such as Zechariah 12 and others, that a great battle will take place in the city of Jerusalem and its surrounding area for control of the city. Eventually, the armies of the world will surround the city of Jerusalem and God's people And when Christ returns with his saints, the armies of the world shall be defeated and it will be the capital from which the Messiah rules. Isaiah 2 paints a wonderful picture when the Messiah begins his thousand year rule upon this earth. It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Is that happening today? Are the nations of the world saying, Let's go to Jerusalem, that we may learn from the law of God? Uh Ah, Hasn't happened yet. Jerusalem. And Israel is a very secular city. The nations of the world aren't flocking there to learn about God. Alright? But one day, that's going to happen. Because that's from where the Messiah is going to rule for a thousand years. And it says, He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. By the way, that's pink, that's uh, inscribed on this monument here. Do you know where this monument is? It's in the courtyard of the United Nations building. Alright, that's the dream of the United Nations. Okay, that's the scripture verse that's inscribed here. That's not going to happen until the king returns. Alright, however, we do our best to strive for that goal, but not going to happen completely until the king returns, and Amen. he shall rule from Jerusalem. So until that happens, Satan will do all he can to destroy the city of God's future rule. Well, Jerusalem today is not the possession of peace. The people of Israel have been harassed from every side for centuries, and even to this day, if you go to the city of Jerusalem, some of you have been there, you can sense the tension. Alright, any little thing can set off a spark. Alright, if you are on the border, the Palestinian border, you can sense the tension there. One small riot, one Jewish military jeep turning in the wrong direction can set off a major battle right there. Okay, and today on the mountain of Jerusalem is not Solomon's temple. Here's the foundation wall here, but on it sits the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And the Dome of the Rock. It is the third most holy site in Islam. The Quran does not mention Jerusalem in a prominent way. Islamic tradition has it that this is from where Muhammad did his midnight journey on the back of a donkey from Mecca, landed here in Jerusalem and went back, supposedly. And it is the third most holy site in Islam. And Islam teaches that whatever lands are conquered by Islam Belongs to the Muslims forever. And in 1967, of course, after the Six Day War, the Jews were attacked from all sides by Islamic coalition, and they, in six days, won an amazing victory and extended the borders of their territory. And one of the places they took is the city of Jerusalem. They recaptured the city. Of Jerusalem and today control the city of Jerusalem. And this is extremely offensive to the Muslims. And in September of 2000, the Prime Minister of Israel, Ariel Sharon, went for the first time in many years and walked on the Temple Mount, which ignited a Palestinian infiltrator after that. But the city of Jerusalem is one to watch. Now, before the return of Christ, the armies of the world led by Satan and his Antichrist will march against the nation of Israel. Isn't it interesting to note that the Islamic nations today seek the destruction of Israel and have several times in a unified effort tried to destroy Israel? And this is the third sign, the rise of Islam and the Islamic nations. In a unified effort, seeking the destruction of Israel. Now, Islam has historically, as we studied last time we were together, been hostile towards the Jewish people. Muhammad, of course, first began to appeal to Jews and Christians, appealing that he was another prophet or an apostle. When they rejected him, of course, then he turned hostile, and when he gained a strong following and military might in Medina, he began to persecute the Jews, especially after the Battle of the Ditch, okay, or the Siege of Medina, where he marched 700 Jewish men outside to the trench and chopped their heads off, and sold the women and children off into slavery. So the hostility goes all the way back to Mohammed, who denounced the Jews. Now the Antichrist spirit is very strong in the religion of Islam. Okay? Now listen to me carefully. In the religion of Islam. Not in Muslim people. Okay? They are victims. Captives in a false ideology. And many of them are great and wonderful people. To befriend and share the love of Christ with. But what I'm saying is the religion of Islam. Okay? There's a strong anti-Christ spirit there. How do we know? Well read the biography of Muhammad. By Ibn Ishaf. The earliest one. He struggled with demon possession. Alright? Three times clearly. When he first received his revelations, he thought he was demon-possessed. And he went on a cliff and he was throwing himself off the cliff. He thought he was demon-possessed. But his wife and Christian cousin convinced him he was a prophet of God. Later on, while he was a prophet, he fell under the spell of a magician. For over a year. The satanic verses in the Quran where he allowed people to worship the three gods of his tribe, and then eventually he said, well, I was possessed by Satan when that happened, and God called me, Allah called me to repentance. Early on in his childhood, his nurse believed that he was demon-possessed, okay, so he struggled with it throughout his life, and if you look at the teachings of Islam, they denounce as blasphemy, as sure, the key doctrines taught in the Bible, the doctrine of the... Triune God, the deity of Christ and the Messiah, the death and resurrection of Christ, the authority of the Bible, calls for the persecution of unbelievers and specifically mentions Jews and Christians. And he calls for the destruction. Islamic eschatology calls for the destruction of Israel that the Mahdi may arise from the well and lead the armies of Islam to war break crosses and burn synagogues, and bring in the golden age of Islam. Muhammad wrote in the Quran, fight those who do not believe in Allah. And the Jews say, Ezra is the Son of God. And Christians say, Christ is the Son of God. These are the words of their mouths. They imitate the saying of those who disbelieved before. Allah's curse be upon them, how they turned away. Chapter nine of the Quran: Fight those who do not believe in Allah, nor the latter day, nor do they prohibit what Allah and His Messenger have prohibited, nor follow the religion of truth. Out of those who have been given the Book, who's that? That's the Jews and the Christians. Until they pay the jizya tax, the heavy, heavy tax of unbelievers, in acknowledgment of superiority, and they are in a state of subjection. Hey, that's. The goal of Islam and Sharia law. You have three choices in the Quran: Convert, meet the sword, or live as a single class citizen, in pain. The heavy, heavy, cheesy attacks. O oh, you who believe, do not take the Jews and the Christians for friends. They are friends of each other, and whoever amongst you takes them for a friend, then surely he is one of them. Surely Allah does not guide the unjust people. Chapter 5 of the Quran. So hostility between the Jews and the Muslims go all the way back to the days of Muhammad. All right, so for over a thousand years, that has been the teaching in Islam. And Islamic eschatology teaches what keeps the Mahdi, the Islamic Messiah, hidden in the well is the existence of Israel and the US in the holy lands of Islam. So you see there, here the Muslim lands in red, And where's Israel? Tiny, tiny little dot over there. That's Israel. The Islamic nations have sought the destruction of Israel. And we know on several occasions since 1948, the nation, the Islamic nations, have in a unified effort attacked the nation of Israel. But each time, though vastly, vastly outnumbered, Israel was remarkably delivered. Obviously, there's something else going on there. The day after they were declared a nation, they were attacked by the Islamic nations and without much of a standing army, they won a great victory and repulsed those nations. Following that, the Suez War, the Six Day War in which they were attacked on all sides and miraculously defeated all the neighboring nations and pushed them back and expanded their territory the Battle of Yom Kippur, which involved nine Arab nations, four African nations, attacking on the holy day of Ramadan and Yom Kippur, completely by surprise, they were attacked and somehow miraculously fought and repelled those invading armies. And the battle continues. Now, the current war involves Islamic groups. Seeking the destruction of Israel and what's going on in the Middle East today as we talked about last time we're together. More hardline Muslim groups seeking to replace these moderate leaders of these nations with more hardline fundamentalist Islamic regimes. Yet despite all their attacks, God promised what? Jeremiah 31. This is what the Lord says, who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is His name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. In other words, Israel is going to be around until the Messiah returns. No nation has been so persecuted, so scattered throughout the world as Israel, and yet has survived. Hey, if you told the Romans who destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the Jews, Rome will one day disappear, but Israel will still be around. For long outlived the Roman Empire, they would have laughed. But Rome is gone. Israel is here. If you told the Babylonians, if you told the Persians, one day your empires will come to an end, but the nation of Israel will be around, they would have laughed. Hey, but empires have come, empires have gone. Israel still remains as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And the rise of these Islamic nations unifying to destroy Israel sets up the stage for that great battle of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 of Gog and Magog, an Islamic coalition led by Gog and Magog, which would be the present-day Russia, who we know funds these nations and these groups hey against our strongest ally there in the middle east nation of israel so the rise of islam is another key sign to look at we talked about the city of jerusalem but there's another key city that's mentioned babylon jerusalem is the city of god babylon represents the city of rebellion we first run across Babylon In Genesis 10 and 11, it is known as the Tower of Babel. And from then on, it has been the city of rebellion. In 586, of course, it's the Babylonians who come in and deport the people of Israel to Babylon. Where you read books like Daniel. Daniel was captured and made to serve there under Nebuchadnezzar and the kings of Babylon. Well, the Old Testament prophesies, Babylon was destroyed by the Persians, but the Old Testament prophesies that the city shall rise once again. As Jerusalem will rise to prominence, so will the city of Babylon. There's several... Passages. It's the second most mentioned city in the Bible, Babylon. And one of the prophecies states, And behold, uh, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I said to the angel who talked to me, Where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, To the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its
0: base. Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion of Pat's teaching about the end times. We hope you enjoyed it. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, Click on that Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.